wife or Claire and Gunner's mom or Steve and Debbie's daughter, however you need to make that connection. And this morning, I'm going to be reading from Luke 12, 22 through 34. So do not be anxious. This is a very good lesson in and of itself, one of my favorite passages. And I read it to Gunner this week because this is definitely something that he struggles with. So we read it a couple times this week. And he said to the disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself, yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. Thank you, Stephanie. So, about a year ago, I went on a new adventure. I got an iPhone. I've, I've never had an iPhone before. I was always a staunch Android guy. I sold phones for years, and Sprint didn't have the iPhone. So I was brainwashed that the iPhone is bad because we didn't have it, so of course it's bad. So uh, I, got one, I got one, and um, there was a feature that my iPhone had that my Android phone probably had as well, but I didn't utilize it, and it was location sharing. And I've got to tell you, location sharing has changed my life. So um, this, to, as Stephanie shared, the, the passage today is about not being anxious. And as we read this, this passage, we, we saw that Jesus has a lot to say about anxiety. And I am not a guy who struggles with anxiety. As a matter of fact, um, I might go the other direction. So if, if anxiety is on a pendulum that swings too far one way or too far the other, where anxiousness is a sin... I might drift into apathy being a sin, okay? So that, that's where I am. I'm not a particularly anxious guy, except for in one area. Except for in one area. And that is the location of my wife. Now, many of you guys know my wife. She's, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. She, she is an expert, an expert at being present. Wherever she is, that is where she is which means if I am not there, I do not exist. So if I send her a text, it goes into nothing. If I say, where are you? Nothing back. 
Now, I must have inherited this from my father because when I, when I say something like, hey, would you be home by 9, if you're going to be home by 9, shoot me a text, let me know, 9.30, 9.45. Now, she is very busy being present at that moment with whomever she's with. And I start to think, where is she? What if she's dead? What if she's gone? I have to raise these children. I don't know how to raise girls. It's a good thing I have sisters-in-law who can help me because I don't know how to do makeup. Now, I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm worried about who's going to teach my daughters how to do makeup and how to be women and who's going to comb their hair and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm like, just answer the phone. But now I have location sharing. And I can say, oh, she's still there. And this has been a wonderful thing. But you know what I started doing, though? What if she left her phone? <laughs> right? Because that is also within the realm of possibilities. So what, what, what is my point here, right? That, that anxiety, anxiety and stress makes us go to dark, dark places. And, and here's, let me just tell you, oh, and here she walks in now. She didn't hear all that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, my dear, please don't go back and listen to the sermon. Can, can I tell you uh, a little secret? Worrying about my wife never got her home any sooner. It never did. Uh, I, 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 a, lesser, a lesser known proverb of Jesus is this, who by worrying can get your wife home any sooner? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus never said that. I was just kidding. All right, so, so listen, I, I've got four daughters, and by God's grace and mercy, even last night, last night was the first time Caroline went out without adults. But guess what? She has location sharing, and it's a glorious thing because I can see she's exactly where she's supposed to be. I don't know how my parents got through my teen years and how any of you guys who were my parents' age got through without location sharing. It is a glorious, glorious gift. Uh, I have never been, uh, like I said, a, a warrior at all. By, by somehow, by God's grace, from a young age, I believed Jesus when he said that worrying never added an hour to someone's life. I've just struggled to believe that worrying couldn't add an hour to my wife's life. So our, our text today has a lot more to say, though, than don't worry. Um, it really piggybacks off of where Clark had us last week. Last week, Clark helped us see that the Jesus was warning against the love of and the priority of stuff. And so much of worry and anxiety is belief, belief that our, our thoughts being wrapped up in these things can actually change outcomes. And so I think one of the things that Clark helped us do last week is see how subtle our heart idols can be. And when we make stuff or situations in life or earthly security our priority, these things can quickly become a functional God. Then Jesus does something wonderful. In his wisdom and in his gentle compassion, Jesus turns away from the crowd and turns back toward his disciples and his followers, and he begins to answer a question before they even ask it. So in verses 13 through 21, Jesus uh, warns against idolatry of excess and of uh, too much pleasure, but then he seems to know what his disciples and followers would once ask him. They seem to once ask, yeah, okay, I get excess, I get indulgence and too much pleasure, but what about the stuff that we need to survive? 
What about the stuff that we really need? Surely it's appropriate to worry about the stuff that we need, right? As Jesus continues, he, he pulls out all the stops and he warns us against all kinds of anxiety. All. Even anxiety over the very basics of life. Up to the point that he warns against having anxiety over your own life at all. So this warning wasn't given to uh, chastise per se, but to call his disciples into something better. The warning is given to point his followers. Now listen, why was this warning given? It was given to point his followers to the security and peace that comes from focusing on our citizenship in the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us, as his followers, to have real security and real peace, a peace in the heart that comes from fully believing that our God, the king of the universe, is looking out for us. That's what he wants for us. True peace that only comes from him. So let's look again at verse 22. Verse 22 says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, I know what we do. We read that and we go, yeah, don't be anxious about your life. And we begin to over-spiritualize this and we begin to make exceptions about all these things that we can worry about. But Jesus does something wonderful for us. He doesn't stop there. He gets specific. He says, what you will eat, nor about your body what you will put on. I love how clear and simple he makes it. He does not let us move into some kind of ambiguity. He says, literally, don't be worried about what you eat or what you wear. What happens if you don't eat? This is not a trick question. You die. So when Jesus says, don't be worried about your life, I want us to fundamentally understand that he actually means your life. Don't worry about what you eat or about what you put on. He is clear here. He doesn't want us to be robbed of the joy that comes from having an eternal perspective. So he challenges his followers to stop worrying even about the very basics of life. So today, we're going to see five reasons why we don't need to worry about this world. Five reasons that we don't need to worry about this world. First, life is bigger than our physical needs. Life is bigger than our physical needs. Second, God is trustworthy and he will meet our needs. Third, worrying fixes nothing. Fourth, this physical world won't last anyway. And fifth, by faith, we can live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now, for, for many of us, the command to not worry may seem daunting or maybe even a little bit unreasonable. So I think we need to clarify what Jesus is saying from what he is not saying. 
So when Jesus says, do not be anxious, he is not saying something like, don't plan or don't work to provide for your family. Jesus himself, as he talks uh, and, and chastises some of the Pharisees about dedicating their wealth to God, uh, chastises them for not taking care of their parents. Okay, so there is this element where Jesus knows that we need to be mindful of caring for those that are in our charge. Uh, so by all means, Jesus is not refuting any idea of hard work. So we should go to work. We should earn our money. We should pay our bills. We should save for a rainy day. We should be generous whenever the need presents itself. Stewardship says, go ahead, plan for retirement. Plan for a financial emergency. If we are able, if we are able, we should work to provide for our family. As a matter of fact, if we are able and we are not working to provide for our family, then we are in sin. If we are able and we are not working to provide for our family, then we are in sin. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty straightforward. Now, guys, there's all kinds of caveats to this, all right? Sometimes we're struggling to provide. We're in a, we're in a bad job. We, we, uh, we're an entrepreneur, and we started a new business. And, you know, like, you get the point here, though. The idea is that you are supposed to be working to provide for your family. There's ebbs and flows in the economy and all that stuff, so don't feel like you're in sin if your job isn't raking in the dough the way you want. That's not what this is saying. It's saying you need to take ownership of the fact that uh, you need to provide for your family. So work itself is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, work existed in the garden before sin did. Adam and Eve were told to work the garden and to keep it. They were told to have dominion over the whole earth. So this idea of working and providing is a very good thing. So just in case uh, we need clarity, there is an element of anxiety that is a gift from the Lord that motivates us to do what he's commanded us to do. But in that case, I'd probably prefer, this is me, all right, this is just Brandon, I would probably prefer the word stress over anxiety in that department. Worry and anxiety seem to take stress to an unhealthy place. So stress in our life is good. It motivates us to do something about our problem. Worry and anxiety takes that stress to an ultimate or a sinful place. All right, so I just wanted to go ahead and draw that out. So, so that means when we think about anxiety in Luke 12, I want us to think about anxiety this way. Okay, here's my definition. Worry, this is my definition of anxiety. Worry over our inability to maintain our earthly security through our personal effort. All right, that's how I'm defining anxiety. Worry over our inability to maintain our earthly security through our personal effort. Now, I want that definition to sink in and, and make sense to us, so let me see if I can clarify that definition by breaking it into three parts. So the first thing I want to look at is this idea of personal effort. This is self-reliance. When we think about anxiety, anxiety is usually centered on the idea of self-reliance. If I work harder, then everything will be okay. If I save more money, then we will have enough. If I increase my home defense, then everyone will be safe. If I have enough food in my uh, bunker, then if the end of the world comes, we'll, my family will be safe and will be protected. 
This is an I mentality. If I just do it, if I, 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 I just do it, then things will be done. The problem is, there's always more to be done. And there's only so much I to go around. So we find ourselves stretched beyond what we're able to do. It puts way too much emphasis on me. Second, the word that I want to draw out of that definition is earthly security. And by that, I mean over-focusing on the things of this world as things that we really need. This is looking at money or food or even physical health or protection as ultimate. We can't view these things as ultimate. This view says that the 70 to 100 years we have here on earth are what matters most. And so making the most of life here and now is our top priority. All right. When we look at this idea of providing for ourselves earthly security, we elevate life here on earth as the ultimate thing. I have to make the most of this. And finally, I want to look at this idea of the inability to maintain. And by this, I mean that there is always more work to do. There's always more. There is no finality in what you're doing. You will never have enough. How much money is enough? Typically a little more. How much food is enough? A little more. How healthy is enough? Even if you're fully healthy, like, okay, now I can get physically fit, I can eat more healthy foods, I can now, okay, now I'm healthy, now I can work on the health of the people around me, right? You see how this goes? There's always more health to work on. How much protection is enough? This is just sand slipping through your fingers. As Solomon says, it's, it's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. There is never enough. Earthly anxiety operates on the premise that I can work hard enough or do enough to have enough. I'll say that again. Earthly anxiety operates on the premise that I can work hard enough or do enough to have enough. The reality is, God calls us not to be anxious because we can rely on Him. Where I fail, He can continue. Where I'm insufficient, He can keep going. He, he doesn't want us to worry because He can meet our eternal needs. Not just our physical needs, but our eternal needs. And God himself is sufficient. He is the only enough we can ever truly have. So with this idea and mindset of anxiety, let's begin to look at the first reason why we don't need to be anxious. Let's look at verse 23. Verse 23 alone. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. I mean, just, just look at that sentence. Just stare at it for a second. At first glance, this is such a basic statement. I mean, honestly, it's so basic, it's something that we could take for granted. We can all read that and go, yeah, sure. What's your point? Right? That, that's easy to do. But on the other hand, like I said a minute ago, what happens if you don't have food and clothing? You die. So in this simple little sentence is a promise. 
Life in Christ is more than this physical world. That's what he says. Life is more than whether or not you die. That's what he says right there. What a huge promise to us. Jesus has been trying throughout these last few chapters that we've been reading in Luke to break our allegiance to this physical world and help us see that our real home is with God in the eternal kingdom. That's what he wants us to see. And so when he says this life is more than food and clothing, he's saying, hey, quit getting so caught up with the here and now. All this stuff is just passing away. Jesus pushes this point to the extreme by telling us, man, even your food and clothes are not enough. Now, I want you to think about Jesus and how he lived and the things that he said that taught about food and water and things of that sort. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he say to the devil? He said, man does not live by bread alone, but on the very word of God. When, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well who was drawing water out, what did he say? He said, you would have known who's talking to you and you would have asked him for what? Living water. And later in that chapter, when the disciples come back and meet with Jesus, they said, hey, we got some food for you. And what does Jesus say? He said, I have some food that you don't know anything about. And they said, well, what kind of food is that? And he says that it is the food uh, that he, he was, it was dwelling on, that he was uh, eating, if you will, being sustained on, was to do the will of the Father. In other words, Jesus says that we truly live by walking in obedience to the King of the kingdom of heaven. That is where true peace and security are found. So life is more than food. Life is fellowship with the king and walking with him in obedience. So don't worry about this stuff. I get hungry, though. I get hungry a lot. So when you feel it, when you, when you see it, when you're in it, these earthly pangs are reminders of where our heart needs to be. As we feel it physically, it should be a draw to the fact that, honestly, I'm going to be hungry again later. I'm going to be thirsty again later. So where does my heart, where do my desires, where do my affections, where do my attention need to go? They need to go to the Lord who satisfies Forever, life is more than food, and it is more than clothing. So don't worry. Now, the second reason we don't need to worry or be anxious comes from the next verse, in verse 24. God is trustworthy, and he will meet our needs. God is trustworthy, and he will meet our needs. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens, Jesus says. I think he says this sweetly. I don't think he says this sarcastically. Like, you idiot. Consider the ravens. I think he says it, just look at the ravens. Just look at those birds. They neither sow nor reap. They, neither, they have neither storehouses nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? He's saying to them, don't worry. God sees you. He sees you and he knows. 
You know, this is the second time in just a few verses that Jesus uses uh, birds to make the same point. Look back at, at Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. Now, before we, we, uh, we look at this, I want you to notice the context. Even in verses 4 through 7, we have another life and death situation. And we have a, a command here to regulate our emotions that are geared towards self-preservation. So rather than don't worry, he says don't fear. Okay, now uh, look, look at how this goes in verse 4 through 7. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, where does he go from that? Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Man, aren't those two passages today so similar when we stop and think about them? God meets the, the needs of the birds, and you are more valuable than they are. He knows what you need. He's not dumb. Do you believe that? He knows what you need. And if he's looking out for the birds, he's looking out for you. So Jesus came to offer life. He came to save. He came to heal. But not just a physical body. Jesus also came to heal, most importantly, our souls by offering us forgiveness and life in him. I want you to, to, to think back uh, earlier in Luke. We talked about this about a year ago in Luke chapter 5, verse 24, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man. When Jesus heals the paralyzed man, what's he say? He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, what we see here is that the body matters. Our hope as followers of Jesus Christ is in the resurrection from the dead. But we are raised in new life because Jesus forgave us of our sins. He has forgiven our sinful hearts. So, so don't fear him who can kill the body and cast into hell, right? Similarly, similarly, food and shelter are about sustaining life. So sure, Jesus can give us life through human provision. We all know this, but he is the king of heaven. So what does Jesus come to do? He comes to offer us life forever. Now, here's where I want you to follow these connections, okay? In the same way that Jesus healed the body to show that he has the authority to heal the soul, right? What do we see in that passage in, in Luke 5? So that we know he has the authority to heal the soul, to forgive the soul, he heals the body, right? If he can be trusted with your eternal soul, don't you think you can trust him with your human needs? I just want that to set on you for a second. If you can trust him with your eternal soul, eternal soul, can you trust him with your temporary earthly needs? See, Jesus wants us to rest in him completely. He's calling us to trust him fully. If we have the faith that he can save our souls from our sin and from hell, then we can trust him with our physical needs. He cares for the birds. How much more valuable are you 
than they. He's got your soul covered. You can trust him with your earthly needs too. So don't be anxious about that. And then we come to our third point. Jesus says, worry fixes nothing. Worry fixes nothing. Let's look at Luke chapter 25, verse, I'm sorry, Luke 12, verse 25. It says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Again, I don't think this is meant to be condescending. I think Jesus is trying to lead them into the truth. He's saying, hey, you know your worrying doesn't even add an hour to your life. And if you can't add an hour to your life, then why are you worrying about all, this re- all the rest of this? I, I, there's part of me that as I read this, I, I think, how, how does this passage even need an explanation? Because Jesus is so clearly saying to us, worry doesn't change anything. Now, let me give you guys a, a silly example. I, 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 think, I think we know this is true, but maybe this example will, will help you. You guys know, um, I've shared this many times, how much I love snow. So anytime snow is in the forecast, I just stare outside, and I, I long for the forecast to say, feet of snow. Like, I want feet. I want to not be able to leave my home for days. Like, that's what I'm, I'm wanting. Now, does my desire for this snow affect how much snow we get? I mean, the answer is no, right? No matter how much snow I want, trust me, if it did, we would have had many blizzards by now. But since my desire for snow has no effect on how much snow we get, I have no problem wanting as much as possible. The truth of the matter is, if, my, if I could control that with my level of anxiety and stress, I probably would want less. But, but my, my desire has absolutely nothing to do with how much snow falls. In the same way, worry is, is kind of just negative, wishful thinking. Anxiety does not accomplish anything, just like my desire for snow does not bring any more snow. When I worry about Elise being gone from home longer than I expect, anxiously fearing the worst has absolutely no bearing on the situation. It doesn't bring her home any sooner. It doesn't keep her from getting in an accident. It doesn't keep her from, you know, getting mugged or, the, you know, kidnapped or whatever awful thing goes through your head when you're in a worry spiral, right? The worry has no bearing on her situation whatsoever. So Jesus says, don't worry about all that physical stuff. You can't even add an hour to your life by worrying about it. Remember what we learned from Clark last week. In Luke 12, 20, uh, 12 through 21, the rich guy builds all these new barns and he has plans to eat, drink, and be merry and live for a good long while. He'd worried about it all. He'd planned it all out. And then what happens? Dead. He doesn't get to enjoy any of it. All his planning, all his work, none of that measured up to a hill of beans. It was over and done. So here's where our enemy is especially deceptive. For many, their anxiety creates a sense of doing something. Anxiety creates a sense of doing something. For many, they think to themselves, I know I can't do anything about this situation, 
But if I worry, I can feel like I'm doing something. Now, of course, that's an unconscious uh, thought, but that idea is that it, it, that, that shows that I care. And since I, I care, I worry. And I worry because I'm hoping that everything will turn out okay. But at the end of the day, that worry isn't actually accomplishing anything. That's why Jesus says, who by worrying can add an hour to your life? The answer is that it's impossible. In fact, stress, as we all know now, can even take away from life. Elise gave me a great line this week that she learned in her BSF Bible study that I just thought was awesome. And when she said it to me, it floored me. And like, I didn't have anything to say for like five or 10 seconds as it just processed the profound nature of this sentence. This is it. Okay, so all you warriors, listen. Okay, right here. This has not come from me. This is not Brandon. Okay, it's from BSF Bible study. If you can worry, then you already know how to meditate. If you can worry, then you already know how to meditate. So we, we feel ourselves trying to accomplish something or, or feel the overwhelming need to do something, and we find ourselves obsessing about whatever it is. What the Lord has called us to is that, that obsessive thought over, oh, no, this awful thing's going to happen. You know, again, just thinking back to my wife not being home when I want her to be. Uh, the, the idea here is we can leverage that laser focus. We can leverage that laser focus into prayer. You already know how to meditate. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I, I love this, all right? Are you, are, you, are you not more valuable than the birds? The answer is yes. So as we, as we experience this, and, and we already know how to meditate because we were worrying and obsessing about this thing, what are we encouraged to do? We are encouraged, we are encouraged to let our reasonableness be known to everyone, which I find the juxtaposition between reasonableness and worry to be awfully interesting. Okay? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Do not be anxious about anything. How do we let that be known? Don't be anxious. Now, how do we not be anxious? All right, we can't just stop it. We leverage that meditation to where we are taking these things to the Lord. And everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what's it say? And the peace of God. Oh man, what do our anxious and worrying brothers and sisters need? The peace of God. And what is the way to have the peace of God? It is to take your needs to him. Because he cares for you. I'm going to pivot. I don't think I can get through points four and five and get us out at a reasonable time. So we're going to save those for next week. I want to end by reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, 
under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Are you not much more valuable than the birds? He cares for them, and he cares for you. But how does verse 6 start? Humble yourselves. What if I told you guys that anxiety and worry has, has its, its uh, root in two other sins? Doubt and pride. Worry is, is fundamentally, fundamentally a doubt that God can meet your needs. It is fundamentally a doubt that God cares for you. And what do we see over and over again in our passage? That he does care for you. That he does value you. He makes a promise that he will provide for you what you need. Now we may have a different definition of what we need. But is he trustworthy? Do we believe that he can take care of us? Do we believe that he knows what's best? And what if the very thing that is needed is our suffering? What if that's good for our soul? And what if that's good for the souls of our brothers and sisters who need to see our perseverance in the middle of our trial and pain? God knows what you need. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So even as you experience some things that may be less than pleasant, he has not forsaken you. Now, here's what we try to do, though. We want to, to feel like we're doing something. We want to feel a, a manner of control in our lives. So that moves us from doubt now to the next part of the sin of worry and anxiety. And that is the belief that I can do something about it. And so many things in life are beyond our control. We are unable to fix the situation. And so he says this in 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, we might think under the mighty hand of God as oppressive or power. Be humble. The mighty hand of God is over you. But that's not what it's saying at all. That mighty hand of God is there to protect you. It's looking out for you. It's, it's, it's working for you. I, I skipped this because, you know, I wasn't planning on, on coming. But we'll come back to this next week. But he says in the end of our passage today that it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And again, we'll talk about that more next week. But his mighty hand is, ex is extended because it is his good pleasure to take care of you, because you are more valuable than, than many sparrows. So we can humble ourselves under the, the hand of God, forsaking our pride. Our pride says, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. I'll fix it. I'll worry and feel like I'm doing something when I'm not doing anything. We can be free from worry if we trust and if we humble ourselves. If we realize, I can't do anything, but I serve a God who can do anything. When we realize that, 
we can cast all your, our anxieties on him because he cares for us. He cares for you. When you're in your stress, when you're in your worry, one of the things the enemy wants to do is speak doubt into your life that he does not care for you. And one of the things, the promises we need to hold on to in our worry and in our doubt is that he does care for us. If we can find that uh, truth, that he cares for us, we can have peace and security that we chase after so hard by obsessing about the things of this world. But what God wants for us is to have peace and security in him. And I can't wait to talk about that next week as we get into the, the kingdom of heaven and why being citizens of the kingdom of heaven is so good for us who struggle with worry. Um, would the praise team come as I pray? Lord, we are so grateful for your love, your provision, and your protection. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us, Lord, to believe that in our dark days, that you do care for us. Help us to rest and that you provide for the sparrows and the ravens, and we are more valuable than the birds. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be focused on the things of eternity and not on the things of earth, that we would begin to let go of these earthly desires, and we would set our mind on things above. Father, anxiety and worry is, is a tough place for many. So, Lord, as you um, met your disciples with compassion, I pray, Lord, that those who are here today that are worrying and are feeling anxious would see your love and care. That they would see you as a gentle father who wants to lead them out. It's in your name we pray. Amen.